church on this great Father's Day. Uh, we just celebrate all of our dads this morning, and we want to honor you for sure. Thank you so much for what you mean to your family and what you mean to our church. Listen, if you're sitting next to your dad, just look at him right now and say, thanks for all the money you spent on me, okay? Just tell him that. Even the money you don't know that I took, thank you for that too. We're so glad to have uh, all of our dads uh, here today. Thank you so much uh, for being here on Father's Day and making New Life Church part of your weekend. And so um, thank you, thank you. Um, today I want to uh, talk to you about a text that we, we all know very, very well. But I want to just dig in here just a little bit. And, you know, there's, there's this saying that if you buy a man a fish, he will eat for a day. As a dad, you've learned that if you teach your child to fish, then you also have to buy the bait, you buy fishing poles, a boat, fuel, multiple batteries, you drive them to a body of water. It's expensive to be a dad. And so every dad here knows that we've all made some mistakes, we've had some bad moments, we've had some uh, bad words, we've had some entire days that we'd like to reverse and have a redo on. And um, in an honest attempt to teach our children about life, we have reverted uh, back to being our parents. It seems like there's this line of, of age group, and once you reach it, you start to rapidly roll toward things that you learned or that your parents taught you, and you begin to instill that into the lives of your own children. So we try to, um, what, I'm, what I call it is southern parenting. We just kind of revert back to that. And so we try to teach our kids logic, but it comes out this way in the form of southern parenting. We say, hey, if you fall off that bike and you break your neck, you're grounded. Okay, that, that's logical to us. When we're teaching them about receiving, we say, um, when I get home, you're going to get it. Okay, and so we tell them that. We talk about anatomy. We say things like, if you don't stop crossing your eyes, they're going to get stuck that, that, that way. Um, and then when we try to teach them about responsibility, we say things really dumb like, when that mower cuts your foot off, don't come running to me. And like, like all that makes sense. And so we, we try as dads you know, to really say the right thing. Uh, but sometimes it comes across in the wrong way. And so today I want to talk to all of our men, but before that I just want to pray over all of our dads and over the message today. So let's do that. Father, thank you so much for just a beautiful day to be here to celebrate fatherhood and uh, to be in your presence, the greatest father of all. And so today, as we honor our dads, we also honor you. We thank you for who you are in our lives, and we pray today that your spirit, your presence, your wisdom would be here as you challenge and encourages us, encourage us through your word. So thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to talk to all of our men today, and some of you here, you are dads, 
and some of you are granddads, and some of you might even be great-granddads, and some of you are, are wannabe dads. I mean, you are, you are very hopeful. One day, I'm going to have children. I'm going to have a family. Some of you are at a stage in your life where you are mentoring people or coaching people, and so you still have a lot of dad left in you, even though maybe you've raised adult children. You continue to reach down to another generation and mentor or coach or stay heavily involved in that, and that's exactly who I want to talk to today. But I want to address something, and that is I want us to just be able to acknowledge that Father's Day is completely different than Mother's Day. Okay, I don't know if you know this, but Mother's Day is the second highest attended um, church day outside of Easter. And we are like, oh, moms, you're so awesome, and we're cards and flowers. But when it comes to Father's Day, we just kind of just kind of drive right, right through it. Nobody cares about it. But there's this... Uh, in spite of that particular mystery, I think we can all agree that a dad's love leaves a huge emotional imprint on all of us. And I know that because as adults, you still have people who are trying to get um, that, that affirmation that they received from their father. And I say this about my, my dad often, and he, he's not here today, but I say this about him often, and that is that the greatest gift he ever gave me was affirmation. It's like the greatest thing that he ever did was to say, you are my son. No matter what happens, no matter what life brings, no matter the high, the low, no matter what you choose to do with your life, I'm going to be your dad and you're going to be my son. And it created in me this constant, you know, this, this stability. Even though I operated out of it subconsciously, I knew that there was a constant and a steady in my life. And even as a guy in his mid-40s, oftentimes I still lean back into that knowing how well I am loved by my earthly father. And so we know that that emotional fingerprint is strong. And our ultimate goal as dads should be to gradually transfer the dependence that our children have upon us toward the, the Father, that we are basically building a bridge between our children and the Father. We are giving them a path to step on, to step across, something that feels good and solid and predictable, that our children can use us to actually discover more about the love of God. And so that, that, that's the goal. And in Proverbs chapter 22, there's this verse that we all know, if you've been in church for any length of time, and I'm going to read it from the King James Version because we all memorized it from the King James Version. But this is what it says. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Okay, let's read it again. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Now, a lot of times we read this verse... And our first inclination is to believe that if we will bring our children to church, if we'll get them here, then, then something happens spiritually, and when they grow up to be adults, they too will be strong believers. But we know that this is not the, the case. All of us could tell a story about a Christian home 
who raised kids to be followers of Jesus, and when they became adults, they were not followers of Jesus themselves. That their home now looks completely different than the home they grew up in. So we know that just the local church is just one part of that recipe. That, that the, the local church is not the fix-all. That something has to take place in our homes when it comes to training up a child. That coming to church doesn't make you a Christian no more than going to McDonald's makes you a Happy Meal. That there's something that, that has to happen with several criteria for us to expose our children to the love of God. And a lot of this um, falls upon the shoulders of, of the local home. So what does it mean to train up a child in the way they should go? Well, I want to give you a few thoughts this morning. The first one is this. It means that dads need to protect their child's innocence. They need to protect their innocence. That we need to take that masculinity that God designed us with and use it to be protectors. That we are guarding our children. Now, we know that we can't be everywhere at the same time the way that, that God can. We're not omnipresent. We're not om- omniscient. We don't, we don't know everything. But we have to do our part that what we can be present for, we need to be protectors in those moments. We need to have discernment and to have courage to address the issues that happen in our home and be protectors of our children's mind. This means that we also need to accept where our child or children are right now. What season of life are they in right now? And what does that mean that they need to know about right now at that particular season? Meaning this, we don't treat a grade schooler like a teenager, and we don't treat a teenager like someone who's about to graduate college. That there are certain phases, and each phase comes with some responsible knowledge. As dads, we need to be the gatekeeper for that. What our kids are knowing, what they're talking about, and then give explanation about it. I am amazed. I have a 13-year-old girl. I'm amazed at the things that, that she knows and understands about life, social cues, experiences, her intuitiveness about what's going on with other students and what they're talking about. Things that at 13 that I was not a part of until I was 17. It's just amazing the access that we have to information of all sorts. And so dad, it's, it's very challenging in the 21st century to be a protective father. To help guard that emotional and psychological construct of our children. We have to understand that this has to include protecting our child's heart and their, and their innocence. This verse, Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23 that Solomon teaches us, I, I use this often, but it's so rich and so good. and has to be one of the primary principles that as believers we understand. But this verse says, above all else, guard your heart because all you do flows from it. 
And so if this part of our being becomes damaged, if this part of our being becomes confused, then everything we do comes through a damaged filter or a confused filter. And so we're trying to be preventative by being protectors. We're trying to protect our children from what could possibly happen by stepping in and having courage in our masculinity to lead our home and to lead our children. One of the societal issues and, and hurdles or challenges that we have, and I hope, I hope that we can all agree on this, is that it seems our children are growing up too fast that the window of childhood is becoming smaller and smaller and smaller. Our kids know things that they don't need, need to know, and it happens at earlier and earlier and earlier stages of life. You, then you've got some people pushing their children toward progress so fast. It's like we watch these shows where, you know, we know that Tiger Woods' dad had Tiger out at the golf course, you know, 5 a.m. on a Sunday morning hitting, you know, 500 golf balls or what, whatnot. And we say, well, that's what I'm going to do with my kids so that he too can become a billionaire and I can retire. But you see these, these dads who with good intent, okay, hear, hear my heart, the, the intent is good. But we're forcing growth. It's like we can't just be present and enjoy the t-ball experience. But it's like we've got these small boys going to t-ball and then a two-hour batting practice and an hour of CrossFit and then, you know, on and on and on. It's like, you know, push, 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 push. Regarding their innocence, man, there are a lot of ideas out there about life and sin and sexuality, all kinds of things that a child does not need to know. Our children do not need to be exposed to every crime, perversion, and weird thing and every talk that happens between a husband and wife. That there are things in our home when a, a husband and wife are talking about issues of the world and whatnot and how to, how to navigate them. And your kid walks in and says, what are y'all talking about? You need to have the courage to say, none of your business. Go away. We're talking. Give us a minute. Get out of here. Don't pester somebody else. Sorry, that came out of my spirit. It was a little, little too deep. <laughs> we need to fall in love with the stage of life that our child is in right now. One of the things about Riley was that it seems I've I always struggled with this because with every stage there was some excitement about the areas she was growing into. At the same time, there was grieving about the areas we were leaving behind. That there were, you know, this excitement about this next phase or her understanding or how we were talking uh, more in depth about things. But then we waved goodbye to like, hey, are y'all going to come tuck me in bed? Or, hey, you know, where's my favorite blanket? Or this or that. And you, you leave one phase behind and you celebrate another while you grieve the, the, the one that you're leaving. When Riley was small, I, w I would say things like this, oh, I, I can't wait until she's crawling. And then, um, then I'd say something like, oh, I can't wait until she's walking. And then I would say something like, oh, I can't wait until she's talking. And then I would say, oh, I can't wait until school starts. And now that I, now that I have a teenager, I'm like, I can't wait till Jesus comes back. <laughs> like, like, that's my only prayer. Like, Come on, Jesus. <laughs> Come on, Lord. How many parents are with me on that? Can I get an amen? Yeah, okay. I'm not, I'm not alone. 
The second thing I want to talk about is this. When we talk about train up a child, it means this, that dads are going to prepare their child for their life. Their child for their life. Training them up in the way that they should go is going to require some discernment. And hear, hear me, dads. We're, we're not you know, naturally uh, full of discernment. You know, we tend to say, you know, my wife is is more sensitive to those things. She understands the emotions of my child. But if you don't have discernment, you need to pray for it because this is something that, as as a dad, we need in terms of leadership. Because God's called you to be the tip of the spear for your house. And so you need to be able to know as we make a push in this direction or as I'm navigating this circumstance, I need to know what the heart of my child is so that I can be appropriate in in this. And so training them up in in the Hebrew, that, that phrase, in the way they should go, means this, toward their natural bend. Okay? Meaning that God has something designed for your child that's unique. And I think it may be the temptation of a lot of parents or a lot of dads to say, you know, maybe they're, they're going to grow up and just be a better version of me. And so rather than seeing our child as this distinct or unique or individualized person with a unique set of, of, of skill or giftedness, we see them as ourselves and we try to live our life again through their youth and make them a better version of what, what we are. And so our decisions and the way we look at them, we, we start to go, no, 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 do this. No, 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 do that. Go into this area or be that. Or, and, and we're trying to project our own desires for our own life onto our our children. But God has something very unique for them and very individualized. And it's going to take discernment to go, God, what do you have in the life of my child that as a dad I need to call out, that I need to be able to look at them and say, I see something in you. I see leadership in you. Or I see giftedness in you. Or I see something that God can use in the local church in you. I see it. And we speak life over it. It's almost like we get to partner with God. Like like the seeds are there. But then we as the dad get to come along and water it. And see what God does. See how it flourishes and and, and begins to grow. What has God gifted for our child? So our job as a dad is much like taking them as, as an arrow and putting them into a bow. We're the first ones that get the opportunity to put tension on that gift in their life and with discernment begin to understand the trajectory of where God wants to send them. So don't be afraid to pull back because the further you pull, the more tension on that giftedness that is on, on your child, the greater the potential for for, to, to launch them, the further it's pulled back, the greater the distance. The amplified version of this verse is train up a child in keeping with his individual gifts. This means that we don't force them to be like, like us. See, as a parent, when we start to aim them in the right direction, what this means in common language is this. If they're good at sports, go buy a bat. If they're good at music, buy them some lessons. If they're good at art, let them paint your house. Okay? Be willing to to let your kids get involved with their giftedness. Third, and this becomes hard um, for a lot of dads, but 
Training up a child in the way they, they should go means that dads get to enjoy their, their kids. That there's enjoyment. Now listen, guys, we again are not naturally designed this way. We are, are, are competitive. We have a tendency to be driven, a tendency to be, to be passionate, and sometimes it's about all the wrong stuff. We're driven and passionate because God's called us to be providers, and He's called us to be protectors. Those, tends to be, those tend to be where our buttons get, get pushed. And so sometimes it's hard for us to just settle and enjoy and be present with our, our children. But God intended for our homes to be a place of happiness, okay? And I want you to think about this. I want you to think way, way back, Genesis way, way back. And you see that when God started with you and I, he didn't plant a church and then fill it up with people. He created a home structure that the home was the first ordained unit to include multiple people long before the local church was in place. And that, that home unit was responsible for everything. It was responsible for teaching appropriate relationship. It was responsible for modeling how to parent and raise children and how to problem solve and how to deal with conflict and how, how to mediate. The home taught all of that, that prayer was taught. People broke bread. People talked about what their day looked like. The home was solely responsible for teaching the uh, experiences and education. It was the school. It was the university. It was the church. The home was. And then we grew out of it. We began to parcel that up and give responsibility of that toward other people. And so we've lost a lot of that natural camaraderie. But God designed our homes to be a place for happiness. And if there's, if there's one thing that I want my kid to reach adulthood with is this, that we had a lot of fun together. I want her to remember about her childhood. Man, I had, I had a lot of fun. I laughed a lot. Or, or all of her stories center around the joy that she experienced in, our, in our, our home. Now, I'm not so naive to think that that that's not always going to be the case. I mean, there are times I'm strict on her. There are times I get on to her. There are times she gets grounded. There are times that we have some hard life talks. But I want the joy that was in our home to umbrella all of those things that we're trying to do as parents. So our kids are not going to be with us forever, and we get that, and that hits us really hard in the chest sometimes. But there is a balance in being a good dad. Because God expects us to provide, but he also expects us to enjoy our family. And here's the second half to that. And allow our family to enjoy us. And this means to be, be present. That all of that big passion that you have and that big drive that you have, that God gave you. We've got to find a way, and I'm, I'm just as terrible at this as maybe some of you are, but we've got to find a way to dial that down and be present with our families. There's got to be some mindfulness. There's got to be uh, uh, where we leave work at work and we're with our people, and when people say something funny, we're laughing. That we're asking open-ended questions, that things aren't just a nod, huh? And we're moving on, trying to survive until we can get back to work the next day. Day. And as men, we are notorious for this. 
because we want to climb and we want to conquer and we want we have we're so driven and passionate but we've got to have this part in our life where we realize I am home with my family my kids are here they're not always going to live under this roof and so I've got this sliver of time to enjoy moments like I'm having right now I want you to think about this, dads, for just a second. Are we teaching our children, as dads, are we teaching them to enjoy life or are we teaching them to endure life? Are we teaching our kids how to laugh, how to have a good time, even in a storm, even in a hard time? We are enjoying life and each other and the peace of our home or are we just teaching them to be survivalists? Because if we're not teaching them to enjoy, we're going to raise a generation of adults who hit adulthood with the ability to work and make decisions on their own. And they're going to automatically be bitter toward life and the storms of life and the circumstances of life and the personalities that they come in contact with every day. They're going to hold the world at an arm's distance unless we teach them to enjoy, to enjoy the diversity to enjoy it when everything goes wrong, just to laugh at yourself, laugh at your own mistakes, learn from them, and get up and do it again. Proverbs 17 warns us of this in verse 22. He says, listen, a joyful heart is a good medicine. But he goes on and he says something terrible. He says, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. The metaphor for this means this, easily breakable, bitter, okay, um, or brittle. I'm going to hit life when I don't have enjoyment in my life, when I don't have that, that medicine of laughter in my life, then I'm going to see my entire life through the lens of being brittle and easily broken. Things are going to hurt my feelings. I'm always going to have a chip on my shoulder. And my experience of life is now going to become to be just a survivor. Dads, we have an opportunity to put this into our, into our children, to enjoy it. To come to church and enjoy that you go to your job and you enjoy it, that you're doing something honorable, that we come home and we enjoy the things that we have. We're not just looking on Instagram and social media constantly wishing that we were somebody else's family. No, we rally people together and go, this is our family, and we're going to enjoy the things that we have that we can do together. Before George Bush Sr. died, I love this. I've told you this story many times, but he was interviewed, and his accolades on paper are, you know, jaw-dropping. He just had a lot of opportunity. and He seized a lot of moments, held a lot of, of, of weighty responsibility in our country, obviously. And a person, the interviewer asked, George Sr. said, out of all these things listed, which one means the most to you? Like, like, which one of your accolades, you know, do you value the most? And he said, the thing that I value the most is not anything on those paper, on on those papers. But the greatest thing in my life is that my kids still love to come home. And you think about a man who had such responsibility, lived his life in in the public eye, was wealthy that the greatest thing, he reached a point in his life where the greatest thing was none of those responsibilities, none of, of the respect, 
none of the money. It was the fact that my kids still love to come home means more to me than anything. I think that speaks volumes to us. That one day you and I could say something similar. My kids still love to come home. When they grew up and were able to live life on, on their own, they didn't stay away. They came home because they, they love us. Fourth, and I'll land, I'll land this today. Training up a child in the way they should go means that our dads need to let our lives point our children to Christ. Not just because we take them and check them in at Kid Life, or we come on a Sunday, or we come to a worship night, or we go to a life group, or that they come to real life, or that they even go to Macau. It's that we, our lives, are pointing them toward Christ. The most important role we play as a dad is to help our family to know God. It's not enough for us to simply talk to God, to our kids about God. We have to live out what we believe the Scripture is, te- is teaching us. And I've been reading a lot in this area for whatever reason, I, I don't know. But, you know, we've talked about the millennial generation, and we've said, man, those millennials, they, they don't want to go to work, and, and they, you know, this or that. We've got so many staple complaints about that particular generation. But let me tell you something. When you begin to look at the spiritual faith of the millennial generation, you start to see a few patterns that fall into a trending. And one of those is this, that they are not giving up on Christ. They are giving up on religion. And here's why, because relationship means more to them than religiosity. And my generation and generations before me, and I'm so thankful for every generation who laid another path for us to step on in Christendom. So don't walk out of here thinking I've bashed somebody. But I am telling, telling you this, that, that revival is returning in the form of relationship. That people are really starting to get that it's more important for me to sit in a coffee shop and have a conversation with you about your walk with Christ than it is for me to look at a list of things that I'm supposed to do or not do in order to follow Jesus. That the religiosity they've grown weary with, but the relationship, they're in love with it. And this may be a lesson that as parents and as dads especially that we need to understand. It's not enough for us to just bring our kid to the local church. We need to have relationship with them. And our kids need to understand that the best example that we can give as dads is this. We've got to convey to our kids that you need Jesus. That you personally rely on Jesus. That when you feel convicted in your life, you go to Jesus and you ask for forgiveness. That when you are in a storm and when you feel overwhelmed and when you are worried and anxious about tomorrow, that you go to Jesus. Part of being a super dad is letting your kids know you're not a super dad. The authenticity of being able to say that I'm not perfect. And I have really good days and I have really bad days. But in both, I still love Jesus. That there are days, man, I've prayed, I've prayed to God and I feel close. And there are days I read the Word. And, and sometimes there are seasons in my life where I'm, I'm not praying well. Where I don't feel heard. Where 
I'm not reading my Bible like I, like I need to. But I still love Jesus. And better news, He still loves me. It's not about the do's and don'ts. It's about the fact that we're in love with Him and He's in love with us. Our kids need to hear this. So, in summary, if you're a note taker, just write down these three takeaways today, okay? To sum all this up, how can we train up our children? Example, I'm going to show my child an example of how to live for Christ in the way I act, in the way I talk, in the way I handle pressure, in the way I generate laughter for our, our home. I need to be an example. Second, I need to empower all the giftedness in my kid. I need to draw it out. I need to have discernment. I need to know what's going on. I need to ask the Lord for wisdom in it. Show me the giftedness in my child and help me to do my part in shaping it. Okay, so example and empowerment. And third, enjoyment. Example, empower, enjoy. Example, empower, enjoy. Example, empower, and enjoy. I believe this was last summer. Pastor Rick sat with campus pastors. Those of you that are new to us, Pastor Rick is our founding pastor, senior pastor. And even though he's, he's a great speaker, I've always said this publicly, and I've, I always tell him this, but he, he's much, his, his, his potency as a leader is in small groups. And so when he gets into really small groups, he gets really, really strong as a leader. But we were in a small group, and this was not off of notes. He was just talking from his heart. and He was talking to all of our campus pastors. We were just sitting there, and he said, you know, there are a lot of things that I will skimp on, okay? He said, there, there are a lot of things I've, I've done as a dad that I shouldn't have done, a lot of things I, I, I didn't do that I should have done. But he said, I do not skimp on time with my family. And I do not skimp on taking them on vacations, on giving them experiences. Okay? And I don't want to project any guilt in this room at all. That's not what we're about. But he was giving these examples about his kids. He's got four kiddos, and now they're all married. But last summer, they, they weren't. And he was just talking about his older ones, and he said, you know, what they talk about the most is not what they got for Christmas. It's not about where, where we live. It's not about the cars we drove growing up. What they talk about the most is that fun thing we did together, that experience that we had. They talk more about a trip we went on or that time we went skiing or that time we went to the beach or that time we, we caught fish together. That, their, their minds are operating around the experiences that bonded us. And he was saying, as dads who have young kids, I want, that, I want that to challenge your heart and let that develop some truth in you to have experiences with your kids. So I'm not telling you that you got to go out here and spend crazy money, but I'm just telling you, give your kids experiences, whatever it looks like. Okay? Enjoy them. Enjoy them. Be an example. Empower them. And enjoy them. Okay? Let's bow our heads together. I want to...